Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shit podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. We have a great show for you all today. But before we dive in, I wanted to say that I am loving all of the questions and comments that are coming in. And as I've mentioned before, if you send them, I am more than happy to get them out here on the show. So that being said, I want to shout out to someone who just went by the name on my way for sharing this. He or she said, I am so glad I somehow stumbled across your podcast. I started listening to a woman sharing her personal story and she sounded so much like me. I just couldn't believe it. I had to keep listening. I think I listened to every show that had someone sharing their story. I always thought I just needed to find the right diet. Now I just want help. I want to thank you and all of your guests who were so open and honest, because now I am on my way to figuring this out. Well, what a great name. Perfect, actually, if I think about it, on my way. You know, I definitely want to thank you for writing in and thank you for listening. You know, you said it so well, you are definitely on your way. And I don't know where you're listening from, you didn't say, but wherever you are, please know this is definitely a step in the right direction for you. And for you and anyone else listening, I know it's not easy to take that first step. So congratulations. And you know what? It really does mean so much to me to hear from listeners like you when the show has any effect on you. You know, as I said before, I do this show for a lot of reasons, but definitely one of them is that anything you can hear on the show helps you. So please message me. Let me know what you think of the show. Ask me questions. Give me feedback. Um, You can do that in a lot of ways, but now you can more easily do that on my voice message website. Um, And that's www.speakpipe.com backslash behind the bite. Um, I'm going to put that in the show notes, um, but that's a place you can leave a voice message for me. And I'm so excited to hear anything you guys have to say. So keep listening because um, you just might hear your name in the next show. Okay, so now on to today's show. Um, you know what? This is kind of interesting timing, actually. Um, I bet on my way probably listened to today's guest when she was on here before. And maybe you have as well. Um you may be wondering why I'm even having a guest who is already on here, and here's why. I always feel it's important to discuss what life looks like well past what is considered recovery. There are a lot of questions and really erroneous myths out there about what life post-treatment is like for someone who's been diagnosed with an eating disorder. So it's really great to have our guest back here to discuss what she is doing in her life right now. Um, I'm going to let her tell you so much more about that, but I'm going to give you some highlights. So after her recovery from an eating disorder diagnosis at Midlife, Teresa Smith started her own coaching practice focused on empowering women. 
She now coaches women to rediscover their happiness by showing up authentically and loving themselves unconditionally, no matter their size. She has written a memoir, It Was Never About the Cake, A Middle-Aged Woman's Journey of Overcoming an Eating Disorder and Discovering Her Best Self, which is actually available on Amazon today, October 27th. So awesome. Um, And in her spare time, you know, she's a normal person. She enjoys quality time with her family, her husband, Dale, and her two young adult children, Caitlin and Ian, and her five-year-old golden doodle, Ollie. And she loves the sun, the beach, and a good book. All right, Teresa, well, welcome to the podcast. Welcome back. It's so good to see you again. Yes, thank you so much for having me back again. I'm so honored to be back again. Well, I'm excited. You know, I was as if anyone has listened to Teresa's um, podcast when she was first here, you know, we talked and focused on um, your journey, you know, pre-diagnosis and, and treatment. And now here you are and you have a book coming out and you've had this whole journey um, of, you know, going through treatment and and beyond and everything that you went through in writing the book and, and what a journey. So I'm just wondering, like, what was that like for you going through that whole uh, process for you? Yeah, that's a great question. And thank you. Yes, my book is coming out soon. It's called It Was Never About the Cake, mm-hmm. A Middle-Aged Woman's Journey of Overcoming an Eating Disorder and Discovering Her Best Self. So it'll be available on Amazon uh, when it does publish both the King- Kindle version and a paperback version. Um, yes, it was a, a quite the journey. And like you said, we we um, talked about different things in the previous podcast. This journey, uh, one thing that I discovered in my recovery process was about forgiveness. So um, something that I highlight in my book was about a story where my dad had passed away several years before I started my recovery journey. And I, I noticed during my journey that I had a lot of resentment towards my father, Um, you know, not being there as a child. He had his own mental health challenges. He was an alcoholic. And I just felt like I didn't get the love I needed as a child. And he was no longer here in this world. And I was just holding a lot of resentment towards him. And my therapist had recommended that I write a forgiveness letter to him. And I finally did. It took a lot of like persuading me, persuading me to do so. And I finally did. And and then the struggle was I wanted to keep it. Like I wanted to reread and rehash. And my therapist reminded me that it probably wasn't the best for my mental health and where I was at in my recovery. So she recommended that I burn the letter. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll go do that. And so I went up to a local uh, park in my neighborhood. My husband came with, um, I just, he came with and um, it was an overlook. Um, he stayed back. We got there. Um, I brought my little lighter and my letter and my cell phone and he stayed back. We got there and I kind of saw one sign from above that this was the right thing to do. We got there and these flowers, it was like August timeframe, fall here in Minnesota, it was windy and warm. There was a swarm of monarch butterflies covering these purple cone flowers. So that was my first like sign from above that I think you're onto something here with doing this, these next um, few things. 
So my husband stayed back and took a bunch of pictures and I proceeded on this trail to the overlook. And I sat there and I uh, um, looked around in my surroundings and got a little emotional. And as I looked across the bluffs, I took out my cell phone and for whatever reason, I wanted to start recording the moment, I think just to capture it for myself. And I was getting really emotional as I looked um, in the distance above the cliffs or the overlook, I saw an eagle flying in the sky. Once again, another um, kind of sign from above that this was meant to be because whenever I saw an eagle, I thought of my father. Mm. Um, and so here I thought, wow, he's really encircling me saying to to read this letter and let it go. So then I, um, you know, read the letter out loud I was crying. No one was around. My husband was way back still in his own moment, taking pictures of those monarch butterflies. And so I read the letter, tearing up considerably, knowing this was right. So then it came time to burn. I uh, lit the the uh, letter on fire and I, I decided to um, record for whatever reason. Again, I think a sign from above. Started recording the burning and this little piece um, didn't burn and it blew away and there was burn restrictions. So I went running after it. And again, I think a complete sign from above and it gives me chills still to this day. I found the scrap of paper and literally it was shaped like an eagle's head with the, um, the burn mark of brown around it. So just an eagle's head with like a beak. And the words that left on that um, letter were the words love, forgive, um, and cry. And so it was just, um, I think, just again, another sign. I started crying even more and just thought, wow, like, I feel like so empowered to move forward in my own my own forgiveness of maybe my past, my father, my relationship with my father. So I feel like that was a big significant catapult to move forward was really making closure. Again, my father was deceased, so I couldn't have that conversation and tell him I forgave him. I firmly believe he heard me. I had all the signs from above that, that he did. And so that really helped me move forward in my journey. And that's something I write about in my book. What a powerful moment and experience. I mean, even, you know, if anyone has Hearing it in your voice, you know, I'm definitely seeing it on your face. This, you very like touched by this. And this sounds like, I mean, what an amazing and emotional moment for you in, in your yeah, journey. It, it definitely was. And like I said, I still get goosebumps. And anytime I look at the pictures, I wish I could show those pictures here uh, somehow. It just, it just, yeah, it was just meant to be. And I think that's kind of the journey of recovery. Um, and, and beyond, it's just everything happens for a reason. And it's just one thing after another that just kind of keeps going for you in the right direction when you learn to let go and do that forgiveness. Uh, because then it allows you to forgive yourself, too, for some of the stuff that maybe you're, that's holding you back. Well, and, you know, I think it, it speaks volumes about the title you chose, too, right? Um, I'm often saying it's not about the food and people often think eating disorders are so much about the food and um you know it sounds like through your journey and through the work you did with in therapy you've realized 
there were so many underlying things for you that contributed to maybe why you had your eating disorder. And it sounds like your relationship with your father and all the things, um, you know, with him and all the feelings you had was one very strong contributing factor to things that you really just had maybe stuffed down or hadn't dealt with or were pushing away with Ed, as we call it, your eating disorder. Um, and I'm wondering if, you know, through that releasing, through the forgiving, I'm wondering how you felt after that, that event there. Yeah, you know, it, you're right. There's so much that does, once you start peeling back the layer, so to speak, and addressing the eating disorder and the healing, you know, I came to realize that my anxiety and my eating disorder kind of fed on each other, right? I was just mm -hmm. so anxious about so many things and it. My eating disorder kind of was that comfort. And so peeling that back and realizing that sometimes staying in the muck, so to speak, mm -hmm. uh, you know, instead of running is something, you know, also to learn during a recovery or your healing um, so that you can you know, go forward. So for example, I write about this a bit in my book, but during my journey, I constantly kind of thought I needed to leave my employer. Like it was always something else. It was never this internal work I needed to do. It was always, oh, I just need to leave my employer because some other employer is going to be better. Some other job will be better. Mm -hmm. And through my recovery, I learned that, oh, like, it isn't about the employer. It's maybe I need to have better boundaries. I need to have more crucial conversations so that I can have the peace of mind that I need. So, hey, I I can't get to that um, task that you're asking me to do today. I could get it, get it to you in two days, you know, with that work. So kind of setting those boundaries and realizing that those were the tough things I needed to do to move forward instead of being so anxious and being like, well, I'll just put this in my bag, slug it over my shoulder and move on to the next job because that's the answer, right? And I say that facetiously because that isn't the answer necessarily. You know, I'm not saying that you need to stay in a job forever if it's not in, um, engaging or not satisfactory, but kind of digging through to find out, you know, is there something more there? And I think that's what I discovered once I gave up, quote unquote, gave up on um, the eating disorder piece and behaviors. Oh, there's so much there I need to work on. And it's this anxiety piece. And oh, sometimes it means you have to stay put and work through that tolerance and then find something healthy, you know, to do. So reaching out to a friend or getting a fidget tool, something that just allows you to work through that moment instead of thinking, oh, a new job or new XYZ will help help me get through this moment of anxiety um, because you no longer have that food that's comforting you. In my case, you know, my binge eating disorder, there wasn't, you know, no amount of food that would take away that anxiety I'm, I realized. And what, what insight, right, to realize that if the eating disorder cleared out, let's say of your mind or was no longer there, there is stuff underneath that you had been avoiding or not dealing with or not acknowledging. And so, you know, Ed 
exits the building. So we say, right? Like, and then all of a sudden, all this other stuff pops up and it's uncomfortable. Like you said, tolerating it. Um, you know, so here comes your anxiety. Here comes the knowledge and awareness that, oh my gosh, I don't set clear boundaries that are healthy for me. Oh gosh, I have these patterns and behaviors that whether I leave this job or go somewhere else, I'm going to take those with me anywhere. So what great awareness and like really having to face those and deal with them and not have, like you said, not have your eating disorder to, to numb out anymore, escape from those or avoid those things and really kind of hit them head on and go, okay, well, how do I want to deal with this? Or how do I tolerate the distress of all these things or manage my anxiety that's now popping up? Right. Yeah. My good friend that went through recovery with me um, through the same program, she would, she would say, Teresa, it's going to that company. You're going to bring this with you. Like (laughs) she would have to help me get back into that realization and that uh, something else that I had, I worked on was radical acceptance. Mm. And it was very interesting to me on my recovery journey because kind of radical acceptance around this anxiety didn't really come until the pandemic happened in 2020, believe it or not. So my anxiety kind of was leading me to believe that I always had to kind of be on an escape route and always be, and if I was always busy, I didn't have to think about having those tough conversations, setting my boundaries, taking care of myself, et cetera, because I just had a busy calendar and a busy mind. And so COVID happened, right? March, Mm -hmm. 2020, and kind of forced us all to kind of slow down. I had to start working from home and just radically accepting that this is life. I can't change (laughs) the pandemic. I I need to take care of myself. My calendar started freeing up, right? And Mm -hmm. and just things started shifting. And so it, it was something like that, that really did kind of make me realize radical acceptance, like accept this moment for what it is. It's not going to last forever and then have a path forward. And so I did a lot of soul searching during the pandemic to realize that this is more my anxiety. I'll stay at this employer. I'll keep working towards my own mental health. I'll get to a better place. I'll do, you know, additional training that I want to do on the side. That's okay. And then eventually fast forward to just the Sierra 2020, where I did do a pivot within my same company that I thought I needed to leave. <laughs> I did a pivot into a role I absolutely love. It's, I feel like it was made for me. I wouldn't have gotten this role had I been still in this state that I was five years ago or two years ago even. And then I, I still um, have that enjoyment outside of work as well and some of the stuff that I do. So yes, it's um, that radical acceptance um, and working just through, continuously working through better um, options when it comes to my anxiety, because I'm still triggered just still today. It's not like it just magically went away, right? <laughs> it's just how do I respond to it is a little bit differently. Well, and that's, that's a good um, thing. I know we talked a little bit before, you know, we, we got started here today about about that and um, kind of, you know, where you're at today with you with Ed and your eating disorder and how you manage when you do get triggered because um and I you know I I always promote how I'm here on the podcast that um you know full recovery um is is 
possible because I, I don't like the myth out there that like, you know, full recovery is not possible because I think when you have that mindset that it sets people up to kind of believe, oh, I'm, I'm never going to get fully recovered anyway, or that's not possible to live a life without Ed. And um, I think that's a very powerful belief system to have and adopt um, because it sets you up to kind of always have Ed there then. Um, but, you know, talking about like stages of recovery, I guess, you know, it's like, it's a process, it's a journey. And um, it's not like you go to like a higher level of care or treatment. And then all of a sudden, boom, you come out and you're never, you're just, the triggers are gone or you just like, it's gone, right? Immediately, right? So like for you, um, I'm wondering like, what's, what's that like for you? Like, how has that been in terms of like frequency of triggers, like from when you got out a higher level of care to like outpatient treatment to even now after writing the book? Yeah, that's a great question because, um, yes, you um, here or there are going to be triggered, right? And, and how you handle that gets better and better over time. And so I remember a situation where I was a couple years into my um, journey and I was in Sedona, Arizona with my husband and we were going to do a, a hike, which in hindsight, we aren't really hikers. And so I, and, and we didn't, you know, really prepare for it. I think we just thought, oh, it'll be easy. So we went into this hike um, and I have asthma, so it started to be triggered. And my Ed voice came in at that moment and was like, you're holding your husband back. So this is mm-hmm. kind of what happened. It's like, you're holding your husband back. If you weren't so fat, you wouldn't have to hold him back. He would be able to enjoy himself. You would be So the voice just got louder and louder with each step. And I started to tear up and my husband turned to me and said, what's wrong? And at first... I kind of went into that old behavior of saying nothing, like nothing. Mm-hmm. And then it happened again. And he kind of was like, well, what's going on? And I just said, you know, it's just, you know, that I, I kind of broke down and told him what was going on, that it's really hard to have these mental thoughts going on. And sometimes the asthma is easier than the mental thoughts going on in your head. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really cried and and he pulled aside and said, hey, let's just take a break here. And he lovingly um, responded to me um, and I was very triggered. And I, we had this long conversation. We decided that we were very close to him finishing. I told him, just go ahead and finish. I really want you to. I'm going to stay here, though. Like, I need to take care of myself. My asthma is really bothering me. Mm-hmm. Um but I want you to continue and it's not that far. I'm just going to stay right here. And I, uh, so he, he was like, are you sure? Anyway, we went back and forth. He continued and I did what I needed to do in that moment to just stay centered. I reached out and texted my three friends that had gone through treatment with me. They were about my age. And I said, I'm in the middle of the desert. Like I, I just was triggered really bad by Ed voice, like this, and they just rallied right away. They're like, "Where exactly are you?" It was just this long, sweet text exchange, and then my husband came back. It didn't take long, you know. We we went back to the car, and then you know it was like, you know, I'm hungry. Like we haven't had a sna- snack, you know. Let's go have a um you know lunch. It's time for lunch. So we agreed to go into town in Sedona, and instead of like 
you know, gorging on food or whatever, like the old behavior would have, because boy, this was a trigger and still listening to that voice about my body. I decided to have fajitas for lunch and a Coca-Cola drink on the side. And I ate it ever so mindfully. And it was like nourishing. It was exactly what I needed. And I ate just enough to be um, full. I didn't overeat. I didn't eat really fast. Some of those were my behaviors before. And so I, I feel again, like that was a triggered moment where that voice was super loud mm-hmm. about my body. I was earlier on in my recovery yet. I was able to process through that because again, I had learned some good skills and could carry forward in that particular situation. Right. So I was again, two years from starting my journey. Mm -hmm. Now I'm five years and I have even more opportunities to continuously practice when triggered. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's the key is like noticing when you're triggered because, you know, so often I hear people when they first, at least maybe you could tell me how it was for you, but when they are first coming to me for treatment, they, they don't, they go, I don't even know why I end up binging say, right. I don't know why I'm doing it. I just go, Oh, and I'm so mad at myself and I feel so guilty. And I think that is, you know, you get to that point in working, you know, through treatment, um, in identifying what your triggers are or what a trigger feels like in getting that point of, to where you were discussing like, okay, I know I'm triggered. I hear what the voice is. I now have a choice. I'm going to go call a friend. I'm going to go do something different to not engage in the behavior. That's a whole different level. That's higher, (laughs) right? That's a whole higher level of, of thinking and being able to kind of decide what you want to do and being more in charge. And you know, over time, like you said, the triggers are less and less and less. And then, you know, like I said, hopefully keeping that hope of getting to the point where you're fully recovered, where, you know, you can get triggered. You can have uh, in terms of like, oh gosh, I'm, I'm anxious. I'm stressed. Something's upsetting me, but Ed doesn't pop in there. (laughs) You don't have an urge to engage in an eating disorder behavior. You're just realizing, oh my gosh, I'm really, life happens, right? You're going to get stressed. You're going to have moments where things upset you. Um, but it's so refreshing when it's the first thing isn't Ed going, hey. <laughs> right. Um, and I'm wondering yeah. if you're having more moments like that where you find you have upsetting um, moments or you have anxiety or you have things happen, but Ed's not the first thing that pops in there. Right. Yes. Um yeah, so that situation was two years in. Again, I chose a healthy path. Uh, you know, being in the middle of nowhere, I didn't have access to food mm-hmm. to binge. But what tended to happen to me in the past was that it would be later, right? Mm-hmm. Like later in the day mm-hmm. <laughs> based on something that triggered me. And, you know, again, I didn't, you know, I, I set myself up for success in that situation. And yeah, so occasionally, you know, triggered today even, um you know, again, anxiety usually is a little bit of a um, a trigger in a sense of something that's happening at work. And so something that I did that I find effective is just um, having something at my disposal, almost that I don't have to think about it. Because again, it used to be I could, um, I had this path of to the kitchen, I'm currently still working from home a little bit still. Um, And so like I have that path memorized to the kitchen if something comes up where I don't want to deal with it and I'm not 
hungry and that's a soothing behavior as something to drink or something to eat. And instead now um, I set my environment up for success where I have fidget tools here at my desk at home, where if I am triggered and something is anxiety provoking, instead of kind of going towards the kitchen, I can easily pick up one of those tools and just start doing that and kind of coming back into my body, right? Because Mm -hmm. the anxiety is taking me out of the body and worrying, coming back in and then being like, oh, okay, that moment has passed. So again, having different um, tools in my Mm -hmm. back pocket to use um, instead of the pathway to the fridge or the kitchen when something just isn't going right. And I I can kind of, you know, realize like, oh, I'm not eating because I'm hungry. What's going on here? So it's sometimes I recognize that when I'm eating, right, I'm not mm-hmm. always making that choice to do a fidget, but once or twice, right, in, or once in a while, and then realize like, oh, like I'm having this popcorn and I'm not hungry. What's going on? And usually, again, it's related to something I'm just uncomfortable about. Mm-hmm you know, oh, I didn't like what that person said or, you know, whatever it was. So definitely more aware when it's happening than before. It was just such a clear path, like food, food, food. And I didn't understand what was going on, nor the connection. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't like, oh, I ate that because I was triggered or my anxiety was just out of control. Right. And I love what you said. It's just this awareness you have now and the ability to, to kind of be more in charge of your life and make choices for yourself. Um, it must feel so empowering to be in such a different place in your life, even in your career, like having a different position in your company rather than having to say like, oh, I'm just going to pivot and leave. Right. I mean, it's sometimes, like I mentioned, it's you stay in that uncomfortableness and you work on having the uncomfortable conversations or whatnot and something else that just made me think about the uncomfortableness um, sometimes it's um, managing through your own self-care and by that I mean um, still letting go of things that no longer serve you so mm. for example on my journey um, I got to a point where I was hanging on to smaller clothes and came to realize through therapy again that that was no longer serving me. And um, my therapist had suggested that I get rid of those smaller clothes because Mm -hmm. it, and again, at the time I didn't really think, oh, this isn't something that's no longer serving me. Why, why can't I keep those smaller dresses, those smaller clothes? And I learned right through my own process that boy, that was very triggering. Mm -hmm. It was no longer serving me, hanging on to something that no longer fit because that's what we did when we dieted, right? That it was like that dress or let's just say your black dress that you could just always have in front of you, like shaming you, Mm -hmm. like you need to get back into this. And so I went through this process of letting go of all those clothes and in the middle of it, I kind of felt so attached to the clothing unfortunately, but then letting it all go and realizing that, oh, somebody else can, I can donate this. I can actually 
put some of this on consign or sell or consignment, whatever, because it's so new. It has tags on it, whatever. And just going through and how freeing and um, yeah, a catalyst for so much more healing is getting rid of what no longer serves you, whether that's clothing, relationships, um, maybe it is your job if it's no longer serving you, but just kind of doing that assessment to determine all what's, what's no longer serving you and letting that go. Like my resentment towards my dad, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, really taking the, the steps towards letting go, which those things that are no longer serving you on your journey. Gosh, you know, I, I'm thinking back to how many people I've worked with who thought I was a little bit like, kind of gave me like a, a funny look when I said, you need to go clean out your closet and only have clothes in there that fit you right now. And really the reaction after is like, so like relieving, you know, because I'm saying you, you're, you're getting Ed out of your closet, right? Yeah. Those clothes are sitting there like screaming at you, right? Like, Hey, they're taunting you. Just like you said, and you really just go and Ed, get out. Like, it's not a constant reminder. And it's like so freeing, right? Like, it's a lot of anxiety of everyone gets what's going to fit, right? Or just knowing anything I grab, it's going to fit. It's so like, oh, so nice. <laughs> yes. And through my recovery journey, there was one uh, purple jacket. So I live in Minnesota, so it's super cold here. So you got to have like big parkas mm-hmm. <laughs> to stay warm in the middle of winter. And I'll never forget, like I had a hard time letting that purple parka go. I just gotten it mm. like at the end of the previous winter. So it was basically brand new. Right. And right. so I just, it didn't fit though, but it was like the perfect purple. I love the color purple. It was something that you don't just find everywhere. So it was just really hard letting that one piece article, but yet so freeing when I finally was able to give it to somebody else that needed a, actually needed a winter coat and couldn't afford one. And I I gifted it or, you know, gave it to her. Um, And then I searched out a different purple (laughs) coat from a different manufacturer that I finally found, I think two falls ago. So I finally did get my purple coat back um, in the right size. Yet it is so, so freeing. And on the flip side, I think about um, going to actually get a swimsuit that knit and I felt comfortable in because that was something else that, um, you know, I didn't often like to wear mm-hmm. early on. Even in my recovery, it was like, no, 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 I can't be seen in a swimsuit. And I think a lot of women are like this. And just going to a store that sold really good quality and I spent an arm and a leg, it felt like, but it was a really good quality two-piece suit. Mm-hmm. Not quite the bikini, but like a tankini or whatever those things are called. Mm-hmm. And feeling very comfortable the last two summers. I don't get to wear it often here in Minnesota, but um, the last two summers we've gone on vacation, I've worn it and I get a lot of compliments on it. And it's it's a suit that fits me. I'm not ashamed to wear it. It's a style that I like, again, looking for articles of clothing that you like, Mm -hmm. that you feel awesome in, are so much better than, oh, well, because that's a trend or that so-and-so is wearing, I need to wear that, or that's a smaller size, whatever. I try to put those things aside and I just say, okay, this is the size I need. Mm -hmm. It's a different manufacturer, whatever. I, I just, I'm like, it's just this size. I try to neutralize so much about my clothing because... Like when I have shopped at one store, it's like the same store, the same manufacturer. Like 
depending on the cuts, right? You could be size yeah. this in one, size that in another. And so, again, I just try to find clothing that I fit in that I really like and that could be good quality. So that's kind of been my journey too. Whereas before I would kind of not buy the swimsuit or hang on to the purple coat in the hopes of getting back to that size again. Yeah, I love that because I'm always saying that like you need to find clothes that fit you instead of you saying I'm gonna you know change my body to fit the clothes because that's not the way it's supposed to work right and again it's kind of like with the scale right it's like if you put so much emphasis on a number that's external to you whether it's the size on the label of the clothes or the number on the scale it's like you're going to drop yourself fatty because like you said, you can go to one store and it's the label that fits you is this number and you go to the next store and the label on the clothes fits you is a whole different number. And it's this vanity sizing that drives me absolutely bonkers. You know, I've written articles on it. It's it's nutty. And yeah, I had this actually during COVID, you know, we couldn't go shopping. It's funny, Teresa, I had this, this exact experience. This is a true thing. I could not buy clothes. So I I had left my my job. Um, you know, to start this podcast in my own um, practice. And I had nothing but like corporate clothes. So I was like, I need casual clothes, right? So there were sales and it was buy one, get two free on these shorts. And I bought black, uh, gray and white. It was the same brand, right? Same size. (laughs) The black was too tight. The white fit and the gray was too big. And this is no joke. And I was like, am I going nuts? Like, how is this possible? So anyone listening, this is actually true. So if I was back in my eating disorder days, I would have absolutely been like triggered going, like fixating only on the the black ones that were too tight. Right. 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 Yeah. And, and for me too, through the journey. um, Yeah. it, It is funny how that, yeah, can be, you know, and through the journey, I remember going and my mood this was pre, you know, getting healed, you know, it, like my mood would depend on how I felt looking in that mirror, the full length mirror in a dressing room at a a store, whatever, wherever I went. And it was always like, the Ed voice would always come out and be like, you're so fat. If you weren't so fat, you could fit into, you know, a smaller size, you wouldn't look so big. Then I would always find fault in some body part, my thighs, my stomach, whatever. And now it's just, if I don't like it, I'm like, okay, I just don't like this. You know, it looked good on the the rack, but maybe it just doesn't feel good on me. I'm just going to move on, you know, and hold myself some grace. Like my body is my body. It does amazing things, you know, and I could rattle off a bunch. <laughs> um, and I'm just going to not treat myself like that in that mirror because I know that then it'll trigger so much more. And I'm not going to allow that. I'm here to try and close not everything's going to fit. I need, oh, I need a smaller size actually than I thought or whatever, just because again, manufacturers are not the same, even at the same store mm-hmm. with the same manufacturer. It just depends on the fit, <laughs> right? you know, or the style or whatever. So yeah, it's definitely been a journey for sure. And it's just crazy how that can play mind, mind games with you, you know, if you and are still in a place where the size matters or the look or whatever matters. Well, if it is alive and well in your mind, you know, of course that's, that's going to happen. So 
um, definitely, you know, anyone listening, it's like they have that hope out there that if it is not in there, there's that freedom to just say, well, well, you know, all right, I'm going to go find something that I like that I feel comfortable in and, and not have it so like that size or that number like matter at all. It's just like, what do mm-hmm. I like? What looks good on me? Right. And something for me too, just it might be with other people who are recovering as well as just, you know, kind of going through just because I had been dieting so much before. And anyway, just um, when early on, it was like, I kind of tended to shop at more of a um, secondhand, a nice quality secondhand, just knowing I was going to kind of go through this phase of maybe needing to go through a few more articles of clothing until I kind of finally settled on my, you know, where I was going to land long term. And so again, I don't know, I just, I don't think that's a bad thing, right? To just kind of, okay, I'm going to get a few pieces of clothing and I'm going to buy them secondhand, right? Because I know I'm in this like interim stage early in my recovery period where the size might change a bit. And for me, that was my experience, but might not be the same for everybody, but yeah. And everybody's journey, you know, everybody has their own journey. Um, right. It's theirs. And, you know, but I appreciate you sharing yours because, um, you know, just, you know, if anyone wants to go back and listen to Teresa's, you know, first one, just talking to, you know, of about being somebody who's not the quote unquote typical person who has an eating disorder too, like, right. So being someone who is a middle-aged female who has an eating disorder, um, and kind of what that experience is like too, because, you know, oftentimes people wouldn't look at you and they have these biases and they wouldn't necessarily think, oh yeah, she's got an eating disorder. Um, there's a lot of, you know, preconceived notions about like who has one and who doesn't and which one you have. And, um, you know, even for yourself, I think it was hard for you to even like wrap your mind around like, what, I have an eating disorder. There's no way, but um, just knowing that you cannot look at anybody and know if they have an eating disorder, there's not a, you know, this template that says only these people have one. Um, and you know, I'm really just so glad that you're here talking about it and you're continuing to share your story with your book. And actually I believe it comes out today. Um, so anyone who wants to go find it. How, do, how are they finding your book? How do they find you and get your book and all of that? Yeah. Thank you so much again for having me here and your rights. It's, um, I really wrote this story during the pandemic and then it just took me a while to, to get it published. Um, it kind of sat in electronic dust, <laughs> um, for a, a bit there until I proceeded with a publisher. Um, so my book again, will publish on Amazon, both paperback and a Kindle version. And I I really did write this book to hit on something you said, simply because when I was diagnosed, I was like, huh? Like I answered a couple of questions wrong on my intake. I'm middle-aged, what? I'm not this thin, right, ideal. So again, I wrote this so that other middle-aged women could know that healing and and recovery is possible uh, because I felt like, when I was first diagnosed, I didn't necessarily have the resources available. Like someone else's recovery journey wasn't in front of me as a middle-aged woman. So I kind of was in this state of, gosh, is this possible? And so thus, 
I wanted to write this book for any other woman out there that might be like, hmm, I just got diagnosed. This isn't possible. You know, I what what's going on? And so that's really pretty much why I wrote the why I wanted to publish the book. I'm an avid writer, so I'd been keeping journals and my book is most a lot of my private journal entries actually during my before and during my recovery. And so again, it's it's to all the women out there who maybe are just recently diagnosed or think maybe there's something going on there, mm-hmm. that there's hope for you. And hopefully this book helps shed light on that for you and that you too get the feeling I did when I recovered. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, discussing this more and for writing about so Thank you so much. Um, All this information will be on the show notes and on my website. So uh, if you didn't get any of that down, head over to uh, the website after the show. Thank you again, Teresa, so, so much. Really appreciate you being on here again. Yeah, thank you again for having me. It was my pleasure to be here. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find